Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You guys ready? We got no choice. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. Before we get into it, got to take care of a little business. What do you say? Number one is Broadback Ironworks. Makers of the 2x72 grinder. This is a dynamite grinder uh, and attachment company. A grinder and attachment company, it should be, because they have so many different attachments and so many different grinders and so many different options. You can't go wrong. So if you go to broadbeckironworks.com and you put in the promo code KNIFETALK10, you're going to get 10% off all the grinders, attachments, parts. If you want to put it together, you can put it together. You want them to put it together, they'll put it together. Whatever you want. Broadback Ironworks is doing it, and uh, they are 100% with you. Uh, many thanks to them. They had an awesome uh, Black Friday sale, and we are squared away with them. Terrific, terrific, terrific. Broadbackironworks.com. Next is Even Heat. Even Heat is the manufacturer of the finest heat treat ovens available. If you want to get get yourself squared away with a good Even Heat, go to evenheat-kiln.com and check out what they have. You want to get that tap control. You want to get the solid state drive. The solid state drive is what makes sure that it's even because it monitors it monitors the temperature with the thermal couple, and then it's just like these. It's got so many different variations, and they're it's very it's tight it's tight it's tight tolerances so go check out what's going on with them and if you don't want to get the tap control you want to get the ramp master get your ramp master you don't even want to get that go get yourself that turn and burn but whatever you do get yourself an even heat and the customer service is the best they are the best i love those guys broadbeckironworks.com not broadbeckironworks.com even heat dot even heat dash kiln.com my friends over to even heat the best I love those guys. Next are my friends at Nordic Edge. That's at Nordic underscore Edge. They are uh, in Australia, and they make pro tools for knife makers, blacksmiths, bladesmiths, whatever you want. They make a great screw-on carbide um, file guide. It's it's outstanding. They also have other uh, things like the... They have the big Murd file guide. They have broaching tools. They have beveling jigs. And if you're trying to get uh, stock to resupplied, it's the place to go if you're in Australia. And they teach classes. I know that uh, Jamie Bishop, Sausage Man Forge, teaches a lot of classes out of Nordic Edge. So definitely go check out what's going on with them. I really appreciate their support, and you should too. That's Nordic underscore Edge or NordicEdge.com.au. Now, if you're in Canada, you gotta you gotta make sure you hustle, 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 because Maritime Knife Supply is squared away maritime knife supply for all your belts abrasive steels kilns forges presses heat treating ovens all that stuff steels if you, you want some damage steel all that stuff you want your whatever you need you're in canada or united states go check out maritime knife supply and lawrence also has a uh um he has a scholarship with the new england school of metalwork that is finishing up on december 1st so if you had a ch- if you wanted to get in on it hurry up because it's a great scholarship for a great class he's very involved in the knife making community uh lawrence lake is dynamite i'm going to order some belts 
once I finish this recording, because I got to get some belts and he's, he makes it just as quick as anybody else. And he's a great guy. He's very involved in the knife making community. And kind of that's good enough for me. He's one of the guys who is a small business who does provides a great service. I had a message from someone who got something from him and he needed to make a change. He emailed Lawrence and Lawrence got it all squared away. This guy is very involved in the knife making community and he's very involved with the New England School of Metalwork, which is a, I am trying to do everything I can to get people to go take classes at the New England School of Metalwork and the Center for Metal Arts. And he is too. So I am on board with Lawrence Lake. I'm on board on the fact that he is invested in this organization, in this in this craft and I'm invested in him too. So maritime knife supply.com, uh, get yourself all that stuff. And if you get a 10 pack of abrasive belts, you get 10% off. Uh, I got a message from my friend, Sam Evans, Sam Evans from Trojan horse forge. He just hung out with another friend of ours. I uh, can't talk about it, but I mean, at the same time, two, but two, two great people. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Trojan Horse Forge makes this stable rail knife finishing vice, and this thing is insane. It comes in a bomb-proof case, and it's got. It isn't just for handles. You can. There's. I have never used a, a sanding deck better than the Trojan Horse Forge. A knife finishing vice for hand sanding my knives. The rubber gaskets, they give you tons of extra rubber, lots of nuts and, and different things to kind of raise up. If you have a distal taper, it supports a distal taper. You need a, you need a curve, you got a curve in your blade. Don't worry about that. It'll get you squared away. It is really awesome. And then now they just created this, uh, this really cool handle press attachment that allows you to press your 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 uh, hidden tang knives into the blade and holds it while it glues it's really cool and the t4 the t4 sentinel oil is really great stuff too i know my boy uh will stelter's using it if it's good enough for him it's good enough for you uh definitely check out what's going on at trojanhorseforge.com they have payment plans available so if you want to get especially come come the holiday season you know one of them bills to get higher get yourself one of them trojan horse forge knife finishing vices and get on the payment plan so no one knows and if you get if you put in uh, full blast 10 and the promo code you're gonna get 10 percent off everything so it's good enough for that it's good enough for you and i'm with you so check out that Next are my friends at Baker Forge and Tool. Uh, that's BakerForge.com. They are the makers of really, really amazing uh, pattern welded steels and laminate steels and exotic steels and sand mize and copper mize and bronze mize. This stuff is dynamite stuff. I just finished four shop knives out of their Tsunami uh, material, and it is so cool. And I don't know if it's going to come. I don't know if they'll be done by the time this drops but it is so cool and i love working with it and it's really great stuff and i tell you what make all the jokes you want but the gator piss that they make is fucking great i mean it, it ain't got much better than that and i know there's a lot of jokes because of the name but it, you know what there are a lot of jokes about the name but who else is talking about etchings for christ's sakes i mean this stuff is awesome so go get yourself some of that um gator piss or get yourself some of that um really exotic steel that is really easy to work with it's definitely made for anybody that as long as you got a kiln you're in good shape and it's ready to go so definitely check out uh the boys over at troj at uh, bakerforge.com and if you put in the promo code uh full blast you're gonna get 10 percent off your order so what's so good about that and if you're in the eu go to my boys over at diyeurope.eu get yourself some of that gator piss and stop playing you know what i'm saying next are my friends at at Total Boat, totalboat.com. They're the makers of adhesive paints, primers, polishing compounds. Boaters and DIYers, they 
understand that your projects need to go smoothly. So why don't you use some of that total boat? I am highly, highly in love with their two-part epoxy. Its stuff is great, and they also have people want to know, hey, you know, when you're, I, I see that you do file work, and then you have colored dye. How do you dye the color? Well. Total Boat makes dyes. So if you wanted to do, like, let's say you had some of those burls, you wanted to make some hybrid handle material burls, use the Total Boat. They have stuff especially for that. They have uh, all these different types of, uh, you know, resins and stuff like that, two-part epoxies, and it's definitely worth it. So Keith Decent, Derek from Malden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, all my friends, Jimmy DeResta, they're all using the Total Boat, and I love it too. So go get yourself some of that Total Boat at totalboat.com slash fullblast. That's a little affiliate code. They'll give you a little bit of money off, and it'll hook me up too. My friend, GL Hansen and Sons, just sent me a load of Hoopla. Hoopla is this awesome G-Carta. And just to let you know, G-Carta is like Micarta, which is fabric and, pre and, and uh, epoxy and stuff. But G-Carta is a unique composite of natural fibers and fabrics mixed with epoxy under pressure and heat. And he folds them up, and it makes them look like coral. And he makes these loaves, and then he cuts the loaves, and, he, and he, the loaves are great for scales and stuff like that. So I'm highly in love with the Hoopla, the Colorama, Pheasant, Bofa, Ripple Cut, Tuxini, Mahi Mahi, Radium G Carter. This stuff is awesome. And if you go to, if you go to gcarta.bigcartel.com, get yourself some of that, and you go to... Uh, if you go to g.l.hanson, g.l.underscore Hanson and Sons, you can check out what they have. It's stuff, stuff is, fuck, is, is really, really great. And I love it. And I love the electric fuzz too, and all the different names and the different stuff. It's, it is really special stuff. And, uh, I really appreciate you, GL Hanson and Sons. And last but certainly not least, I want to thank my friends at Tormac celebrating 50 years in biz with the black T8 sharpening, water-cooled sharpening system. I love it. I love it. I love it. I go to Tormek.com, and that's at Tormek underscore sharpening on IG. They're also doing a collaboration with my brother, uh, Tomer Botner, over Florentine Kitchen Knives. They did a, the handle is made out of his stacked handle, and they look really cool. So definitely check out what's going on with Tormek. I use them, and I swear by them, and... I have three. I love them so much. I have three, and it's made my knife sharpening just as fast as anything else. It's made my sharpening better. It's made my knife making better. The Tormex system is really great, and I would highly suggest you get that too. So with that said, happy Thanksgiving, ladies and gentlemen. I wasn't going to come in today. I wasn't going to come in today. I actually was going to take the week off. Um, I took the week off last week on Knife Talk, uh, not because my uh, my partners over at Knife Talk said that I had the squirts. I had the turkey squirts. They said uh, Craig Lockwood, my 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 producer, my friend, my 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 compadre, my brother, said that I I got sick from uncooked, undercooked turkey, and I, I was sitting in the toilet all weekend. That wasn't the truth. It was very funny though, um, but that wasn't the case. Uh, my daughter. My daughter, Lila, was was coming home for Thanksgiving, and I hadn't seen her in three months. She's off at college in, in California, and uh, we wanted her back. We just, I, my wife went out to visit her for parents' weekend, and I didn't get to go, and I was just like, she's got to come back, and we flew her out to New York, and she came back on a, on a Wednesday morning, and I just could not... 
I couldn't even, I couldn't even think about, I was having a hard time concentrating. I was just so excited to have her back. I'd never really thought as a parent that I would be this excited to see my daughter, my grown daughter come back from, uh, from, for vacation. And I swear to God, I couldn't get anything done to the point where she came back Wednesday morning. My wife went to pick her up at the airport Wednesday morning. She took the red eye, kind of a mistake, but it's, I, you know, look, you gotta learn somehow. And then I didn't come home for lunch because I knew I wouldn't be able to come back for work. So I like stayed at work and just, we left early and I was just like, I couldn't tear myself away from her. And I just could not even think straight. I was so excited. And we had such a good time. And Thanksgiving, it, this was, I've never, I always love Thanksgiving because I love the concept of it. I love the idea of being thankful and being grateful and thinking about it. And over the years, my wife and I have done things. I used to cook at a, when I was in culinary school, I went to with my teacher. I, I helped him at a soup kitchen. And I like do that. I want to do more of that. Um, and we do the turkey trot every year. And we donate turkeys and bring give money to the homeless. And I think it's important to be mindful and be grateful for what we have. And um, But at the same time, it's like, all right, I'm turkey stuffing all this bullshit. It's not like, you don't want turkey, you don't want Thanksgiving dinner in the middle of the, it's summer, right? I mean, it's a, it's a one-time situation. Like having turkey and all that stuff is like a one-time situation, but it's great with family. And I was just like, I'd never in my life thought, I never in my life thought that I would love thank. This was my favorite Thanksgiving all the time. My daughters came back. So it was cool for me because like, I remember, I remember coming back from college for Thanksgiving and, you know, Thanksgiving is this like, in my family, it was always different because my parents were kind of doing their own thing. And I was kind of like left by the wayside, which was fine by me, uh, frankly. Um, but my daughter came back and she had already made plans with some of her high school friends. And as probably some of you know, when you go to college and you come back to see your high school friends, you're all a little bit different. You're all in your different colleges and you're all still breaking each other's balls, but you're living this life in college that's just different. And you're on your own and maybe you're a little bit more adult and you're responsible for your laundry and you're responsible for making sure you get to the dinner time on time and your homework. And you have this, you have this unnatural unnatural four years or time of, t of being a kind of an adult because you don't really have responsibilities. I mean, you're not paying bills, you know, you're, you're there to work and maybe, you know, we're there to do schoolwork. Maybe you have a part-time job, but it's like, it's a taste. It's the best taste of being an adult possible because you don't have any real, I mean, with the exception of doing your homework, you don't really have a, you don't get bills. There are bills coming to your house, you know, your dorm. So all of her friends were all excited to get together and they all got together and, you know, it was like, you know, look, let's face it, kids experiment and they do their thing and maybe, I, I'm, I'm, you know, allegedly there might have been some alcohol at, the, at this party and, you know, allegedly somebody may have gotten shithoused, not my kid. Uh, I had a really interesting conversation with my kid about it because... She's become very like sensitive to alcohol and drugs, and she had a lot in high school. She was witness to a lot of you know weeds that relatively normal nowadays, and she's uh, you know experimented to a certain degree, and um, she's very wise about it all. And it, the funny thing is, is like, and I've talked to her about it because before she went to college, I said to my wife, I said, look. 
I, you know, started drinking underage at probably about 15 and probably wasn't a great idea. But at the same time, by the time I got to college, I wasn't like a disaster area because I think that what the hard part is, and this isn't a very, you know, this isn't a very popular topic, but kids are going to drink in college. I mean, they're going to experiment in college with other friends and they're going to experiment. And what I didn't want is I didn't want Lila to be fucking white girl wasted. I didn't want to be in a position where, you know, it was restrictions, restrictions, and restrictions, and then all of a sudden she shows up to college, and the next thing you know, it's just like, you know, passed out in God knows where with who knows what, maybe being in a position you don't want to be in. So when she got to be at a certain age, I was really, like, talking to her about, like, you know, understanding that, you know, look, I know you're going to experiment, and I know that's the case, but let me just, you know, we talked about it a lot. And she did not smoke in in junior high or middle school or high school. Um, she, you know, may or may not have. Yeah, she probably experimented like after she got into college. After she got into college and her grades were all in, it was just like I think she allowed herself. You know, she I didn't. We didn't say you're. It's forbidden, but at the same time, we didn't encourage it. But at the same time, it's like we're all like we're not stupid. Um, the other thing is is like she's had so many other friends who are like over the edge of like really, you know, bombing their brains out that she was very aware of it. Um, when we went to, when we went to Spain, uh, last summer for the uh, Florentine kitchen knives class, they came with us. And my, my, I said to my wife, I said, look, the drinking age in Europe is 18. I'm gonna buy her a drink. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, look, she's got to fucking have a drink. And through, you know, high school, I would let her taste wine. Like my father let me taste wine. I just wanted to kind of get, and I also didn't want to make it about like, you know, it's about shots and doing all this stuff. I just wanted her to kind of like, I, I, my fear was this, you know, this, uh, this kid who was, was sheltered ends up going to college and then it's just like a fucking disaster. I had a, I had my, uh, my freshman roommate in college. He, when we showed up, I mean, I had like, we could talk about the drink, my, you know, my underage drinking a little later, but my college roommate was a straight edger when I came in and he was so, you know, he would proselytize and he would talk about drinking and he would just give it to me and then i don't know what happened probably like towards the three three quarters of the end of the year he went out and got went get drink drinking with some friends and he just got obliterated and he was unreasonable and just turned into this sloppy drunk and it was just like this is not what i want at all so i remember i remember when we were in in, uh, spain i'd I'd get her, uh, you know, some fruity drink at a, we were at a, a reach bar and I got her this fruity drink and it was like a daiquiri, a strawberry daiquiri, something like that, some bullshit. And I could tell that she was started to get like a little bit like contemplative, <laughs> you know what I'm, you know what I mean? Like when, when people start to slur a little bit and then they're just like in their head, you know, shit's starting to like, it started to activate. <laughs> the, the alcohol is like kind of like priming them neurons and them, and them pistons. The pistons are starting, and all of a sudden they're pontificating. You know what I mean? So she started slowly, slowly slurring and pontificating about life. And I just, and my wife, I could tell my wife was just as you're looking at me like, oh no, this is a mistake. And I took my kid aside. And I gave her what she told me is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever given her, which is I turned her and I turned to her and I said to her, <laughs> I said to her, act like you've been here before. 
act like you've been here before and she just immediately popped up and it was just like all of a sudden you know she just like kind of like pulled herself together and i said that's all you got to do you got to act like you've been here before don't be the fucking you know wacko so when she got to college that are her college is uh is a very strict in terms of alcohol use and like you get caught in the dorms i don't know i mean i mean i'm shocked because when i was in college you know, you just needed someone to get you the booze, and once you get the booze, as long as you're not out in the outside the dorms, you're you're in good shape. But uh, if you're caught in the dorms with alcohol, you can get in a lot of trouble. So she and her friends are not doing any of that. And then you know, you're in California, and like you can smoke weed anywhere. So a lot of her friends are smoking weed. But she she started to notice like how it affected people, and it affected her, and it really kind of like interfered with her. It interfered with her day-to-day stuff. And she also, I also gave her a piece of advice when she went off to college. And the only reason why I did semi-decent in college was because I felt as though I was, if it was, I was very privileged to have a spot in this college, Kenyon College. And I felt as though if I don't do the best I can, I'm taking the spot away from someone else. And Someone else who probably wanted it, needed it or wanted it more than I did. And I felt as though it's my duty to not take this position in this, in the, the slot in this particular class for granted. And it really helped me kind of focus in terms of just like at the very least, don't fuck it up. And, you know, some other kid could have taken my spot and done a better job. So I ended up, I told her that. I said, you know, that was, for me, that was really important. And we come from modest means. You know, we're, we scrimped and scraped to go to college. And we're not living, and we were in the, the school district that we're in is, that my kid was in is like the worst in all of Westchester. This is like, it's like a disaster. So we under, she understands that. And she kind of went with the same way. So she's doing great. And, and she came home. She went to this party and everyone's get bombed and, and she's just like, you know, she also wasn't feeling well. So she took some cough medicine and she's just like, well, I'm not going to, she's like, I know that that's a mistake. Don't mix like, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> she drinking scissor. We're not doing that. We're not doing, this isn't turning into like, let's get yourself some of that Robitussin and, uh, and uh, some vodka and all of a sudden, you're not doing that, especially if I'm picking her up. She knows that I'm, I would fucking... I would just break her balls relentlessly. She came if I picked her up and she was bombed in the car. I it would she's not gonna she ain't gonna let me do she ain't gonna get let me have that upper hand that's for sure. So it was interesting because the interesting part was because it was I was remembering when I would go home for Thanksgiving and we I for in my situation I mean parents are divorced my dad was kind of on his fourth wife trying to get his life together they weren't really you know, they were interested in having me over for Thanksgiving with everybody else, but it wasn't like, I didn't have a room, I didn't have a place. And then my mom was just kind of getting it together and working and trying to get her life together and stuff like that. So there wasn't like, they weren't waiting for me with open arms, welcome, you know, I made you all this. And I, So when I would get home, I'd, you know, and I would drive because I was, I had a, a jalopy. I had a, a geo prism. Do they even make geos anymore? I had a geo prism and I would drive it back and forth from, from, from high school from uh, college and um i just remember being tired and then and then what i would do is i'd call my friends from high school 
actually just talked to uh, my friend Eric and I from high school. He and I are the we, he just got tickets for us. We're gonna go see the Knicks. We every year we go see the Knicks. We go get we go to a steakhouse. I never go to a steakhouse except for this one time a year. We go to a steakhouse and we're gonna go see the Knicks. And he just got us tickets. We're gonna see the Knicks and the Hawks. I cannot wait. The Knicks are playing so great this year, and you know it's always great to see my friend Eric. And we get a steak and we talk about our our daughters are in the kind of the same boat and stuff like that. It's just kind of great and rekindling this friendship with these high school friends is really kind of neat it's really become one of the things that i really appreciate that i didn't appreciate when i was younger so i remember back in the day you're talking 1993 1992 93 that i would call my friends up and and in new york during the 90s the crazy thing is, is like Upper East Side, there were like certain bars. It was easy to get drink alcohol underage. There were a lot of bars that were not carding. And actually, frankly, I'll tell you a story in a sec. So you could go to any Korean markets and get whatever you wanted. They never carded. Um, I did have a few fake IDs. I had a fake ID that was from uh, pretending to be from uh, NYU. And my friends, all my friends in high school, Eric and a couple of the guys, we all got fake IDs and we all got our, our teacher's name. So I was the English teacher. He was, you know, one guy was the Spanish teacher. One guy was the you know, history teacher. We all got the, 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 we all got the, te- the, uh, the teacher's name. So, and, and it was NYU. And you, what you do is you, you would say to, you, especially if you're out of state, where they would give you an ID. Like they said, well, I need a driver's license. And I would say, oh, I live in New York. What do I need a car for? And outside of New York, that worked every time. It's just like, well, what do I need? I'm a fucking NY. I can take the subway. I'm, like, what do I, I'm from New York. What do I need to drive for? And that usually kind of did the ticket. But in New York, there were all these bars that would serve underage. And um, I remember one of the most famous ones, and I ain't going to say the name, but it was one of the most famous ones was on our route. We would have a route. We would go up 2nd Avenue. No, my bad. We would go up Lexington Avenue. No, I'm a, my mistake. We'd go up 3rd Avenue. We'd go up 3rd Avenue. We'd walk up 3rd Avenue. We'd pick up Eric, and then we'd pick up another guy, a couple other guys who would go all, all the way. And then we knew the different bars that wouldn't uh, cart us. So we go to this bar, that bar, pick up this guy, pick up that guy. No cell phones. We just like, you know, you know, bing on their thing or whatever, bing on their doorbell or something like that or call some pay phone. And then we go into these bars. And one of the bars on that was a bar that was famous because of the uh, preppy murder. I don't know if you heard of the preppy murder. Richard, uh, Robert Chambers, Robert Chambers was a few years older than me, a number of years older than me. He was the preppy murderer. He actually went to, that was the, that was at the time, that was the claim to fame of the high school that I went to because he had gotten thrown out in the sixth grade for selling Coke, allegedly selling Coke on a ski trip, if you can believe it, on sixth grade. So... I guess Robert Chambers, underage, takes this girl to the park. They were having apparently rough sex, and he strangled he strangled um, the the young girl, and it, he ended up serving uh, you know more. Uh, he didn't serve life. I think he got paroled a number of years ago. But that was the huge story in New York, and it was all about these Upper East Side kids and underage drinking and like this just kind of permissive craziness. And that was the thing about the late '80s and the early '90s in New York City. There were so many parents who were divorced and they just didn't, and they're boomers. And I ain't going to talk about boomers, but you know how I feel about them. Fucking, I cannot, boomers are the worst. It's, it's, let's, let's get, get rid of them. You want to get rid of somebody, get rid of the boomers. 
They didn't know how to raise the kids. The divorce rate was through the roof. In my school, there was one kid whose parents weren't 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 divorced. Everybody else were all divorced. All the parents were divorced. The parents were all like living in different places. We were all on our own. We were like wild animals. And that was part of it. You know, you didn't need a car in New York City. You could take the subway. You could take the bus. You could take a taxi cab. And you end up becoming friends with all these different people and different kids from different schools. And I was friends with these different kids from different girls' schools. And we almost had like a, I would, you don't want to say a crew because you just had friends that you could, you were friendly with. You know, there were girls' schools. We had friends at this one school and we would always see them for holidays and stuff like that. But the bottom line was we all knew what the different underage bars were and they didn't give a fuck. These motherfuckers didn't give a fuck. It didn't matter how young we look. It didn't matter how fruity the drinks were. You know, I'll have a, the go to the bartender, I'll have a Bailey's and cream. I'll have a Bailey's and cream. If you don't, on the rocks. You know, I mean, these fucking kids, we were, I mean, it's it's crazy that these bars allowed us in there. But at the time, especially after the preppy murderer, and it was like one of the bars that we would go to. And, you know, it was just like, it was totally crazy. But we would bump into friends from different schools all the time. And we'd bump into friends from girls' schools. We had a, a crew of girlfriends that they were like our sister. It was like our sister school, and we would all hang out, and we'd go to bars, or we would go to someone's house, and it was always a lot of fun. But I just remember that, uh, especially as I got older, I remember I was talking to... I didn't realize this, but apparently, and maybe some of you listeners know this, but apparently the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is the biggest drinking night of the year i didn't realize that until later in life i just i mean when i was growing up i mean any night you were back from college or in high school frankly was the biggest drinking night of the year i mean when i when i got to college i was i had been i wasn't enough i wasn't i didn't drink every day but at the same time like i didn't get wasted like i was really like i had a pretty good system in place i think during high school i threw up a couple times but i mean i kind of worked my way through that and frankly i'm really glad that i had that experience only because like i kind of explained to lilo the good bad good parts and the bad parts and then she had had some sort of like after college and you know after high school she graduated from high school she went to a friend's house and there may have been some weed there may have been some alcohol and she may have had a really bad experience and she and I talked about it, and it was a very learning experience. I'm glad she had it in a place where she was safe. I'm glad she had it in a place where she was safe, really. You know, it was at a friend's house, and she just like barfing on a garbage can or something like that. And um, she told me about it, and she and we talked about it, and I told her those stories, and I'm, I'm grateful it happened. And, I'm, and now it's gotten her to, like, see how things happen, see the ramifications, and then learn from them. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with, I, I trust her. Like I don't, there's a lot of friends of mine whose parents, a lot of parents who are chat, tr- uh, they're tracking their kids. And it's like, I wouldn't do that to my kid. I trust her. She's got a good head on her shoulder. She's understands things. So all those years of, of, um, of going back for Thanksgiving and I was thinking about all that. And then one of the weird things was, and this is, you know, maybe it's the time of the year, maybe whatever, but on this podcast and on knife talk, for some reason, the New York city marathon has come up a lot and it just passes like this. The It's the first Sunday after Halloween or something like that. And I've, I got reminded on, um, 
on Facebook that I had run the New York City Marathon 10 years ago. And one of the... Th also, we were talking last week about this whole Instagram giving Fritz to... Uh, to knife makers and stuff like that. And I was, I said to somebody, I was like, ah, I only use, I only use, uh, social media for business, but that's not the case. I, one of the, the cool things about social media has been kind of catching up with high school friends and seeing a lot of my friends that I would see on, you know, from high school and from when I'd see them on, uh, coming back from Thanksgiving, I would, become friendly with them again. Like this one friend of mine, Brooke, I was friends with her for a long time uh, before college. And then we kind of reconnected and you know, my, my, my summer camp friends, friends from summer camp, we reconnected and, you know, 25 years, 35 years later, something like that. And I will say that it is really nice because you have this opportunity to kind of glimpse into someone's life or reconnect but without having to like <laughs> actually like call them and say, you want to go get a beer? You don't have to do that. You want to get dinner? I don't have to do that. We can just like, I can look at your pictures. You can look at my pictures. We can wave virtually. I think that's awesome. And I befriended a lot of friends of mine from those old days and we would reminisce. And like I said, my friend from uh, my friend, Eric and I go to the Knicks game all the time. And it's really, you know, we've created these really awesome kind of things. And I, for me, that's been the best part of social media. The business has been the kind of the part where I'm focusing on, like, I don't want to like get too hot and bothered on social media. I don't want it to ruin my day, but at the same time, or, or it, take my whole day up. But at the same time, you know, it is nice to kind of see friends. So back to the, I get my social media reminded me that, uh, I did the New York city marathon and the cool thing is, is like now next. So this, when this comes out on Friday, next week, I'm turning 50 and uh, December 6th, I'm turning 50 and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it a lot. I'm talking about it a lot because I'm trying to like push myself in a position of just being accepting of it and whatever. So when I just about when I turned 40, I made this, I guess I was 39 and I was like, I got to do the New York City Marathon. And it was something that I've always wanted because I love New York. I'm such a New York fan. I love everything about New York. And I used to watch the New York City Marathon. And when Hillary and I moved back to New York, we wanted to start exercising. And we joined the Roadrunners Club. The Roadrunners Club sponsors the New York City Marathon. And it's started the New York City Marathon was with the New York City Roadrunners Club. And what they what they'll do is they'll offer, pardon me, they'll offer these races, five um, k, two mile, five k, ten k, half marathon, all this stuff in Central Park. And they'll close off the way Central Park is a PS. If you don't go to Central Park, if you come to New York and you go to Central Park, it's a huge mistake. So there's this inner ring, this outer ring, and it loops up entirely around the park so you get the you're you're basically parallel to uh central park west and then you go up and then you come around then you're parallel to fifth avenue and you see this you see new york in a way that you've never really seen before especially in like in the spring where the trees are starting to bloom and then you see the buildings and then you see the people are walking their dogs or they're running or they're bicycling and central park is a very very special place and i grew up you know going to central park as a child so my wife and I decided to, after 9-11, we, we joined, we went, we were living up and we started, we moved up to Westchester and then we decided to go to the New York City Roadrunners Club and then we would do these races and it was fun because we'd get in the car, or we'd take the train into the city and then we would go to do the race and then we'd be tired and it was always so much fun. But 
we loved it. And running in Central Park is so much fun, especially with other people, and it's exciting, and it's just like everything about it, running with the Roadrunners Club. And it's usually like, you know, the people who run, it's like you're talking about like, you know, the races would be 500 people, 600 people, 1,000 people, and you felt like it wasn't just competing against people, but you felt like you were part of something. And it was nice. It was just everything about it was awesome. So we would do one race and then another race, a couple races. And it was fun for us, and it was also trying to like be fit and be involved in New York and stuff like that. And we found out that if you did nine races that year, you would qualify it, through the Roadrunners Club. You would qualify to get a a, a, a guaranteed spot in the New York City Marathon. But the, you had to qualify. You had to be able to do, I think it was like two or three half marathons and then like nine races altogether that were sanctioned. And then they would tally. You know, you do it online and they would tally and then they would say, okay, you need a couple more. And then the following year it would give you, and you, you needed to be in, it was kind of like the ABS, frankly, because you had to be within good standings. So, like, you couldn't you couldn't join the New York City Roadrunners this year and then do the nine and then get in that same year. You'd have to do it would be the second year. So we just decided at one point, we're like, well, we're just going to fucking do I love doing the races. They give you a T-shirt. Sometimes there'd be famous people. Sometimes there'd be famous people at the starting line. There was one year where it was, this is hilarious. It was the pros, it was a prostate race. There was always race of one was a Nike race. One was, um, they had different, you know, different themes and stuff like that. One was for prostate cancer. And at the front of the God, who was the person who was like, all right, are ready for, they had famous people at the starting line. It was Joan Rivers and Curtis Lewa. Curtis Lewa was the, was the guy who created the Guardian Angels. He was such a fucking wacko. And now he's a radio guy. He's fucking bananas. But it was like the most New York thing. And she was, you know, she, she you know, Joan Rivers is saying good, good you know, start, you know, and she's making, you know, jokes about assholes. Like that are fucking the best. I mean, that's a New York moment you know and then you're running up this and you and the other thing is is the more you run in new york city the in central park the more you know where things are for me running you can't i cannot run blind i cannot know i cannot not know where i am i need that mental there's so much of running that's mental like and part of it is like if you know where you are you get this unconscious understanding of where you need to be and I just remember if you run in Central Park and you know where the different things are, you know where the straightaways are, you know where the downhills are, you know where the uphills are, you know where you're halfway, you don't need the flags, you kind of know. And that is almost more important than the being physically fit. It's the mental understanding of are we almost done yet? Are we close? Or you got to kind of know if you're going to do especially long distance running, you kind of need to have an idea of where you are oh that rock means i'm halfway oh or that turn over there means that okay there's going to be a you need it you need it because otherwise it's just it's unless you're a fucking mental patient it you it's running is so mental that it's like way more mental than it is the physical part so i loved it and i loved i loved you know like i said you know all of a sudden my wife and I are standing there. It's like, you know, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. And, and then there's Joan Rivers saying, on your marks, get set, go. It was fucking awesome. So we did the whole, we did, we were all prepared. And we, I said to Hillary, like, you know what? I think we should try to go for it and do the, do the, uh, do the, do the race, you know, the following year. We're, we're, we love doing it. We weren't like, we just love doing it. We love being, you know, and then you finish and then they give you bagels and you walk, you're, you're kind of, 
cooling down in Central Park and then maybe we would drive and then drive home and then we would make a whole day of it. It was, it was awesome. And I always wanted to do New York City Marathon. So Hillary and I were going to do New York City Marathon. And then um, Hillary was pregnant. We got her pregnant. We, she got pregnant. You know, when people say we're pregnant, it's weird. Hillary was pregnant. I impregnated my wife. Okay? If I, had to, if I have to tell you that's the way it is, that's the way it is. When, people, when men and women go together and then they say we're pregnant. No, no, no. We're not pregnant. She's pregnant. And he got her pregnant. So Hillary was pregnant, Lila was on the way, and there was just no way that Hillary was, and she was, Hillary was due in December. So the New York City Marathon is going to be in the end of October. There is just no way, or the beginning, the first weekend, the first Sunday, it's either the, it's the, it's the Sunday after Halloween. So there's just no way that Hillary's going to train. And then I had gotten in, I got my free, I got a guaranteed spot. And then... I just passed it up because I thought, well, if she's not running, I'm not running. Because part of it is it was like a thing we were doing together. And it's such a huge amount of time and energy spent. Like doing the New York, training for the New York City Marathon is an enormous undertaking. You have to train. And and you don't, and it's not as hard as you think. There are actually sheets of paper maybe I'll, I'll post the sheet of paper my uh, my training sheet as the as the if you go to knife uh, if you go to um if you go to uh full blast podcast on instagram the cover page for this episode will be my training sheet that i crossed off and stuff like that so it'll you can find like a very easy way to do it and basically it, it builds you up if you especially if you start if you start in the spring you do three early you know you you start to build up so like during the week you'll do three short runs and then you'll towards the weekend you'll end up doing two long say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Longer runs and then it just builds you up to the point where you start out doing three mile runs in the, in the evenings on the weekdays or the weekdays and then you know seven miles in the afternoon and it gets you up to the point where at night or towards closer to the it goes closer to the, the running date you will have be able to, by the long runs, you'll be able to run 22 miles. It's crazy. All of a sudden, if you follow the sheets and not doing, I'm not doing anything else. I'm doing, I'm not doing any cross training or stuff like that. I think I probably maybe at the maximum was doing yoga or something like that. But I was running three to four nights a week. Three, I think I was running three to four nights a week. I'd, I think I had a day or two of rest, but that was, weekends were long runs. So when it came down to it, it was like, well, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. So I kind of stopped. And then I, at the same time, it was like, if she's going to be pregnant, why am I going to be in the Roadrunners Club? I'm not going to the city by myself. And we kind of gave it up. And then when I was turning 39, I basically, I made the decision. I kind of wanted to do it. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do it is because of my friend from high school. I mentioned her before. Her name was Brooke. Brooke uh, went to this great uh, girls' school in New York. We were friends for a long time, and then we kind of, you know, she went to Brown, and we really kind of 
kind of, you know, obviously, you know, life goes in this way where, you know, you see people and you don't see people. Well, we reconnected in, uh, on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. And, um, she was terrific. She is a, uh, interior designer. She went to Brown and then she ended up, uh, having be involved with her, a business with her mother and she became very famous for the interior design work that she did with um, Sigourney Weaver and with the Michael J. Fox. And then she was involved recently with, um, I guess, the Real Housewives of Bethany Frankel or something like that. But she had established herself as being, you know, a very high-level interior designer. So I we befriend we kind of rekindled our friendship on on facebook and it turns out she was working with the michael j fox foundation and part of the what the michael j fox foundation does is it's very involved in um the michael j fox foundation is is for a parkinson's uh, michael j fox is fighting parkinson's he's raising a lot of money for parkinson's and she said that the michael j fox foundation is uh it, she was involved with the michael j fox foundation and i'm not 100 percent sure how, what how she was involved with but she would always post about being at the at the new york city marathon in with the michael j fox foundation so i'd sent her a message i guess i was well i guess i was 39 so it must have been probably i would say probably january of 2020 i would say january probably january december january of 2023 no 2022 i would imagine and then I sent her a message and I said, you know, we started chatting and remember the old days and having fun in New York City in the late 90s and stuff like that. And I said to her, you know, I was wondering, I, I've been running for a long time. I've always wanted to run the New York City Marathon. I was a member of the Roadrunners Club. I lost my, my I lost my, um, I wasn't a member of the Roadrunners Club anymore, so I didn't get that, uh, the, you know, the, the guaranteed admission. But I do know that if you join a charitable organization and you raise money, they give you a slot. So all these different charitable organizations have slots available, and what they want you to do is they want you to raise money for them, and they'll give you the slot. So I reached out to Brooke, and I said, you know, I really want to do the New York City Marathon, and, you know, I probably did some bullshit story about, like, Parkinson's, my family. However, my uncle buddy did have Parkinson's. I think I did, you know, I was trying to figure it out, and my Hillary said, Yo, your buddy, buddy's got Parkinson's. I'm like, okay, you know, my uncle buddy has Parkinson's, and he was a World War II vet, and, and uh, I made a whole thing about it. I was like, I'd love to be a member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation, raise money for Michael J. Fox Foundation, and then get into the New York City Marathon. So she said, oh, that's great. I will talk to a friend of mine. So she got me in touch with someone in the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And Brooke was a big deal there. She was, you know, Michael J. Fox and Tracy, his wife Tracy's interior designer. She, he, I think that she did all the interior design for the offices at the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Whatever she did, she was very well received. And when Brooke made the call, the person involved with that, you know, stepped to and said, you got it. You got to raise like, I don't know, two, two grand or something like that. So I was super excited. I mean, this was like all of a sudden, I mean, I'm going to do it. Now I'm going to be in something that I've been wanting to do my whole life. And I got involved. With, I got excited and I got involved with training and I, and I found this sheet and I found, I started doing the training. I wasn't in awesome shape to start out with. Like I was still, I was 39. I had already kind of when I was 32, I started to change my lifestyle in terms of like, my point was, was I did not want to be 60 
and the doctor says, you have fucked your whole health up and you have to change everything now. That was like, to me, that was I, unacceptable. I just could not have, I just did not want to make drastic changes after the fact. And a lot of my family members have done that and there's been a lot of situations where, you know, you've already crossed the line, there's no coming back, you know. And I'd made a lot of changes in my life by about 30 where I really cut down on the drinking and cut down on the meat eating. I was really kind of every meal doesn't have to be my last meal. I really, that's one of the things I really learned, which is like sometimes, sometimes every single thing you do, it, you know, it, this whole concept, I'll talk about Ruizing in a minute. My friend Carl Ruiz, who passed away a number of years ago, he had this whole thing of like, you only live once and live, eat, eat and drink like this is your last day. Well, he died at, you know, he died young. He died too young. And there's, there's like this strange concept of like, we got to, we have to eat and drink like our, you know, like, uh, this is the last day on earth. And frankly, it's not really working. So, um, I really, I was, by the time I was 39, I was just like, I really would love to do this marathon. So I trained, I really, my starting out training wasn't, I wasn't in, I'm in better shape now than when I would started training for the New York City Marathon. Like now I've been doing Peloton for three years. I'm, you can, ch and you can fucking check my fader knives on, in, on Peloton, F-A-D-E-R, because you know why? It's because if you get certain milestones, they'll shout you out. And I don't want to be called fetter knives. That would be annoying. So I wrote F-A-D-E-R-K-N-I-V-E-S on Peloton. You can check my numbers. I mean, all my, numbers. I'm about to hit, I'm about to hit 800 rides and I'm, my fucking legs look great. I mean, my legs look great. And I feel great. This is the best shape I've ever been in. Um, and I would, you know, it, I feel great. When I practiced for the marathon, the problem was, was the raising the money wasn't a hard, wasn't a big deal. Everyone was into it. You know, I raised the money, no big deal. The hard part was the amount of time and energy spent training. You're out the door on the weekend. I mean, at night, I would, you know, three miles isn't a big deal. Three miles, five miles. I mean, you're talking like, you know, if I'm doing a six-minute mile or six-minute mile, you're talking three miles is like, you know, under half an hour. And, you know, a couple hours isn't a big deal. But when you start to get into 17 miles, 19-mile runs, you're away for a long time. I remember when I did 22 miles. I'm away for like three and a half, four hours. And it's like, it is a long time. And then... You're, you're, you can't just run 25 miles and then just be like, all right, let's do something. Like you're fucking dead. You're drained. And you, and the chemicals in your fucking head are rolling around and they're, and you're acting crazy. And then you're a pill and then you're miserable. I was, it got to the point where I was training so hard that I would come back and Hillary, we would have to, she'd have to cancel any kind of parties we'd go to or something. And she, and the, the reason is because Jeff's Jeff is miserable right now. He, and but not miserably feels miserable, but he's going to be a pill. He, you don't want, you don't want to hang out with him now because he's, he's going to be unreasonable. I was totally like a bitch. I was such a fucking bitch when I finished these races. And it wasn't just like complaining or whining. I was just like sullen and just not, not pleasant. It's not pleasant. It is, it takes a huge toll on you and your family when you, when you train, because you do need like, how much did I train? I think I trained June, July, August, September. I think I definitely did 
training four or five, four or five months and four months of them were like serious. Like I didn't take any days off. I didn't, I was really conscious and I lost a ton of weight and, and I was like, I was, it's a, it's a commitment. And anybody who says it's not a commitment, you know, God bless you. It's just, those are the same type of people who don't study for tests. You want fucking natural talent to get you over the finish line, go fuck yourself. I'm, I like, I'm a grinder. I believe in like being prepared and I wanted to be prepared. So the race comes and goes. While getting there, I had to spend the night. I spent the night at a friend's house who lived in Fort Lee, and then he drove me to a bus. And then at four o'clock in the morning, I took the bus to Staten Island, and it was a fucking zoo. I got to the Staten Island probably five in the morning. That's the beginning of the race. And the way that they do it is, well, number one is throughout the week, you're going down to pick up your, your packet and your packet includes your, your bib and it includes a chip that goes on your shoe. You tie it on your shoe and then it, which will, will go off when you go through the starting line and go and finish when you go off. So people can track you on the, on the, on the route. And then they can also tell you how you did because everyone doesn't go at the same time. There are heats and the heats based on your, your speed. And you have to kind of be honest and be like, you know, no one doing a fucking four minute mile on a marathon, forget it. And I think that I put myself at like a, just to be safe. I think I did like eight and a half minute mile or something like that. And they put everybody in heats and waves because there's like, a hundred thousand people running this goddamn thing. It's starting out in, in in Staten Island, going into Brooklyn, and then into Queens, and then into New York, and then into Bronx, back into New York, and then into Central Park. So I was there at five in the morning with the rest of the team from the, the uh, Michael J. Fox Foundation. I have to find my shirt. I got they gave me a shirt. It's so cool. I cannot find. It. I have to find my my running shirt. And um, I remember having to like you're cold and it's it's freezing is middle of the, and what you don't want to do is you don't want to bring a ton, a ton of stuff you bring a backpack and then you throw it into a shipping container and then that shipping container will be at the finish line but what a lot of people do is they'll wear clothes that they never want again and wear a ton of clothes on top of their running clothes and then just donate it there's like a donation bin and then you can just get rid of it and then it goes to donation so you, there's a lot of like hanging out because my heat didn't start until like 10 30 11 so from 5 to like 11 I was in the race didn't start to like, I don't know, seven or nine, seven, eight or nine, something like that. And I, you're just pacing and stretching and you're in the cold and stuff like that. And then when we finally got to the point where we started, the, got into the heats and you just, it, it, it took forever to get to the starting line, but it was amazing. The hardest part of it all was I trained on asphalt and asphalt. I figured asphalt is as good as everything else. I mean, you're going to be running in the city asphalt has a lot of give and it makes running a lot easier and what concrete does is it fucking just shocks your it just shocks your it just shoots you just there's nothing you can give anything and you just get these shoots the shooting pain up your up your it's terrible to run on it's fucking terrible and i'm a big dude i was like i think when i ran it i was 230 and now I'm down about 215, 218, something like that. So I'm much lighter now, but I wasn't as, I wasn't as, I'm in better shape now to train than I was back then. So I trained on the asphalt. It felt great. But by the time I got to mile 13, I'll never forget. It was in Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, I started getting these shooting pains in my knee and, and I ran the whole thing, but I was, I ended up having a lot of pain from 
the 13 mile 13 to mile 26 and i made it through i was ha- i was 45 minutes later than i was expecting it to go but at the same time it was amazing and it was it was incredibly it was incredibly it was amazing and it, it was an incredible feat and probably one of the most amazing things is you're running up a 59th street bridge and you know all you hear is you're running on this steel grates and you just hear everybody plotting their feet or hitting this and then at, we go over the top of the of the you go over the top the peak of the 59th street bridge and you start to head down and you you you're going off and then it's turning around and going up second avenue and as soon as you start to head down the 59th street bridge you start hearing the cheering and the it's just the roar just erupts and there's tons of people cheering for you along the way and it was just i mean it there was not a better there was of in my life if i have to pick you know memorable moments the new york city marathon was one of them and i just remember how miserable i was at the end because my knees were fucking shot my doctor ended up telling me that i was too big he known me for a long time he says i hate to tell you this but you're too big to be running long distance i'm like well, fuck you i'm doing it. i'm gonna do it again at some point so it the problem was was like i would have if, if i had an opportunity to do it every year i would but it became so much time and energy spent preparing and you can't do it on a you can't do it on a treadmill don't work so um we passed by fifth fifth avenue and we passed by i guess we're uh on the way down where michael j fox's house was and the whole michael j fox foundation was there and they're cheering us on and brooke was there and it was super cool i didn't get to see didn't get to see or meet michael j fox but it was super cool to kind of like be part of a team the team was like there was like 20 people on the fox foundation team and that was really cool 20 20 or 30 something like that it was really cool it was a real new york experience frankly and when i was all done i was like i might lost toenails and i was like a fucking mess and i had to, i could barely walk and i got we got home and i was a wreck it was a wreck for days and stuff like that but years later now 10 years passed and daughters in college and now hillary and i are you know we're now after the past three years i've been doing peloton six days a week fucking look fader knives on peloton feel free to fucking check it check it to make sure i'm doing it because i know i know what i'm doing but this is the best i've ever felt and now i know that if i train now I and mean, we just did the my wife and i just did the turkey trot we whipped them asses. We fucking, it was easy money, man. We did a six minute mile. I wasn't even breaking a sweat at the end of it. I, I could have definitely gone faster. I, I just didn't really, I was just too, I was goofing around. Hillary and I could have, we're fucking, she does the Peloton. I did the Peloton. We're ready to go. So we've been talking about it. We're both about to turn 50, 10 years later. Um, and I was going to, uh, Hillary and I are talking about it. And we're, we're going to make a decision we're going, we made the decision to not make a decision now. Cause that's the thing is most people try to make the decision after the New York city marathon. And they're just like, yeah, they're fired up. They're going to do it. And stuff like that. And they're people, you don't have to run, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah. So I said to a lot, Hillary, I was just like, you know, this would be a great year to do it. Turning 50, great way to start 50. And she says, okay, give me until after the holidays. She wants to do it, but she said, well, how would we do it? And she, I can tell that she's excited because she's talking about the, how you do the training and what's the best way and she's a great runner she does she runs on the weekends especially when it's warm she does like seven miles eight miles she can do we can both physically do it and and for me it's not the 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 legs it's it's more about the the breathing and the mental i am gonna if i do if we do do this which i think i think there's a very good chance we're gonna do it 
I got to go see a guy about my knee. But other than that, I'm, I, 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 uh, I, I go on, I do all this stuff on spite. You know, my doctor told me I got too big to do it. I'm like, go oh, fuck yourself, man. Jim, go fuck yourself. I'm fucking running the New York City Marathon. Just get me out there. Okay. So Hillary and I made the decision and, um, that we're going to make a, 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 a final decision because it is a commitment. You can say you're going to do it, but if you, you know, you don't do it, it's like, you know, you don't want to do the New York city marathon and walk it. That's full. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You know, fuck that shit, man. If I want to do it this year, I want to do it feeling good. That's my goal. I'd like to get in my time that I wanted to get. And I, I, if my knee didn't fuck me up, I would have been there. I wanted to be 420, four hours and 20 minutes to do that. I, I would have been there. My knee just fucking fell apart. And it was because of the concrete. I'm not because of the training. My knee fell apart, but I fucking went through it. And so we made the decision that after the, after the, um, after the holidays, we were going to, um, you know, make a final decision. And Hillary said, well, how are we going to get in? Because we're not members of the New York City Roadrunners Club again. And I said, well, you know, maybe, you know, I can write a letter to the Fox Foundation. Maybe I can reach out to Brooke. Uh, she was so thoughtful and so helpful to, um, to, to, to that. And I'm sure, you know, it wouldn't be that hard. And, and she said, well, how are we going to raise the money? I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm going to fucking... I'm going to squeeze these motherfuckers on the full blast podcast and knife talk. We'll be, we'll be, don't worry about that. I'm going to squeeze you motherfuckers. I don't ask for fucking anything from you sons of bitches, you know, respectfully. If I say respectfully, that means you can't be mad at you. I don't ask for shit from you. I don't ask you to fucking post. I do. I'd like you to, but you don't, you don't have to. I don't hockey and Chinik. I'm not fucking giving you the bullshit Patreon. I'm fucking telling you, you know, when I, when a time comes, when the time comes and I ask for something, I'm going to expect you're going to hop too. You know what I'm saying? So I said, Hillary, don't worry about that. These motherfuckers, these listeners of mine, they owe me. I've been giving them good content for over five years on this and Knife Talk. They owe me. They owe me something. I'm kidding, obviously. You know, half you motherfuckers. You know, don't worry about that. So she said, well, what do we, should we do? And I'm like, well, you know what? I'll call up. I'll, I can, if we, once you make this issue, don't call anybody yet. Don't call anybody yet, but you know, after we're going to make a decision after the, after the holidays. Okay. No problem. So hit Lila comes home for the holidays and Thanksgiving, man, we're thinking about all the fun stuff we're doing and I'm finally getting a chance to sit down and I'm looking at stuff and I notice, uh, there's a post I hadn't seen much, you know, I was kind of like, we're thinking about Brooke because we're, you know, maybe we might reach out to her again, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't hawk people in China. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a hosser as they say, like someone who's like always asking for shit. And all of a sudden something came up that was, wasn't expecting, wasn't expecting at all. And, uh, what was expecting, what I wasn't expecting was on Brooke's Instagram page there was her obituary. There was her obituary and it was shocking. And, um, it was from her, the company that she works with, that she works, that is her company said that they were sorry to hear of the passing of their dear friend, Brooke. And I was like, Whoa, Whoa. We were just talking about her. She's great. I was like, what is going on? So I read it and it was very sad because it was shocking because, you know, now we're at the age where I, I just wasn't expecting it. I obviously wasn't expecting it, but we were talking about her. And, and um, 
I kind of, after reading about it, I was just like, oh, I wrote my condolences. This is so sad. I'm so sorry. You know, Brooke was, I remember Brooke in high school and we used to spend time together going to, you know, having, you know, when you're kids, you're having a good time. And I did more research. I just looked online. I just said, maybe there's something more information. And there was articles everywhere about Brooke. And I'm not going to say her last name. You could probably figure it out. Uh, you, you, it ain't hard to figure out. Uh, and it, it was in the Post. It was in the Daily News. It was in People Magazine. It was in E! Online. Apparently, she was the interior designer for Bethany Frankel. And she was part of one of the shows. I don't watch those shows. But at the same time, it's like, you know, any port in a storm, good for her. Um, and what had happened was uh, Brooke had been found in her apartment. And after, you know, she hadn't been going to work and the people at her office were concerned. And then after five days, they, uh, I guess they reached out to the building management and and then they opened the door and then they found her. She had been, she had been, she had died in her chair. And she, I get based on the articles, there was, um, um, advanced decomp- decomposition. She was decomposing in her chair. And to make matters worse, she had a little dog, and then the dog was, you know, needed to eat. So dog, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't have to say it. I don't even want to say it. But um, reading the stories of my friend and reading about this person who was just so lovely you know that's that's the thing about Brooke was she was lovely and um imagining her alone in her apartment with her dog and her dog you know dog had a dog was hungry I, mean, I hate to make a joke but I mean you 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 understand I mean it's a gruesome and grisly and upsetting and there's no real words. I know that Brooke had, she was in business with her mother. Her mother was a very exceptional uh, interior designer. I know that she'd lost her brother. Brooke had lost her brother um, a number of years ago to cancer. It was very upsetting to her. And, you know, she made, uh, she was a very, very well-received interior designer in uh, New York and abroad. Um, and, she had made enough of a name for herself that there was a lot of articles about it, especially local New York. She was a big wig. She was a big wig interior designer. She made a lot of, uh, she really made a really quite a name for herself. And when they, when they kind of said what the, you know, they said there was no foul play involved, you know, based on their investigation. But, uh, what they said was that she had died from, uh, advanced alcohol use. She was acute alcohol use was the cause. So she drank herself to death, really. Um, Most likely, uh, you mean, obviously not immediately, not that night, but like years and years of, of drinking. I remember, I remember back in high school when we used to see her at one of these bars that let us in, you know, and I remember, you know, I, 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 I know that like these, uh, high society types, you know, it's, you know, you have a cocktail here, you have a drinky poo here, you know, vodka there. I, one of my customers, one of my good customers was, uh, just a very, very, um, 
high functioning alcoholic. And, you know, this is now the, the second time I've, I've, I've been involved with something like this. I mean, my wife, I don't, I mean, I, I don't need to repeat it, but I mean, my wife's biological father was a, was a very, very, very long suffering alcoholic. And he ended up dying by, um, drank himself to death and my wife and I were called and um, I was called and I had to break the news to my actually this story is crazy too so I was working for this bakery I was on my way to an event and I got a call and it was the um it was the sheriff's department of this small town and they said are you Jeff Fader is Hillary Fader your wife uh Hillary Lynn I said, yes. And I said, I have some terrible news to tell you, you know, and she said his name and he passed away and the, the, the family out there were too afraid to tell Hillary. So they wanted me to break the news to her. So all of a sudden now our daughter was a couple months old and now I'm going to break the news to my wife that, you know, she was on maternity leave. I was going to break the news to her that her father died. Um, so th this is not news to me, but at the same time, it's just like <sighs> terrible. And the Brooke thing was terrible because she had such a, she was, she was such a powerhouse. She was, I think she was my age. So she was 48, 49. And she had really made quite a name for herself in the interior design business. And it's, it was really, it was shocking. And it, the shocking part was. I mean, it was shocking. It was shocking because it, you know, I'm starting to, all of a sudden now I'm starting to have friends who are, are dying. And my sister told me when I turned 40, 41, 42, she says, get ready because uh, now you're going to be invited to less weddings and more funerals. And I'm finding myself in that position where I'm um, starting to see more friends of mine who I knew pass away. Uh, I've had recently, I've had a few friends who have died of cancer, few high, uh, college friends, some high school friends, and now this is very tragic. And it was really crazy. And I, and I, it was r the same night as my daughter went to this party and everyone was, you know, some of these kids were getting bombed and the parents caught them. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like everyone got to go. And it was like, you know, the, from what I understand, what I want to understand, from what I understand, what I heard secondhand was the parent came in and says, is anybody drinking here? And said, no, no, nobody's drinking. And then the hostess might have vomited all over the fucking dining room table. That's what I've heard. I might be wrong, allegedly, allegedly. But it's like, you know, it makes you really think. And the reason why I came, I wasn't even going to do this show, but it was like these kind of connections were just so, it was so crazy. So I'm really, really sad about Brooke. I mean, obviously, I mean, she was so helpful to me and so lovely to me and my family when I wanted to do this marathon. And, you know, it's terrible. And, you know, if we do, if we do do this, I'm going to reach out to them. If we do do this, and part of the reason why we do this is there's a lot of there's a lot involved with my wife and I in regards to doing it or not. It's not like a question of like, you got to do. It isn't like what I want to do or don't want to do. We, there are like certain things that we have to you know, there have to be in place before we make the decision. I will definitely reach out to the Fox Foundation and I'll run in on behalf of Brooke. You know. Um, it's a very sad, tragic story, and um, 
it's a real story. And it's, I have more now I'm finding myself having more and more friends who are finding sobriety, who are in recovery, uh, who are looking for help. I have a lot of friends who are like, you know, the time it's, it's, you know, it's almost like you've gone past the, the point of no return. So, um, with that said, and I never tell you motherfuckers what to do. You know, I wouldn't tell you how to live your life. A lot of you guys listening to this show are much younger than me. A lot of you guys are like, you're in your twenties, you're in your thirties, you're in, you're younger than me, which is great. I really appreciate you all. I appreciate the kind of words you guys all say. I'm going to tell you this one fucking thing. I'm going to tell you this with peace and love. You've got to you've got to prepare yourself for um, for life, and part of that preparing for life is getting your shit together. And I hate to tell you this, but drinking all the time is not for you, and smoking weed all the time is not for you. Because what's going to happen is is you're going to be put in a, pos- a, a position of perpetual problems. And one of the things I've talked to my wife about, my wife is a a nurse practitioner. She's been like a heavy duty on the floor, big time uh, person in the, in the, in the, in the, she's not a fucking behind the desk. She's in the weeds. She's with you. She's up to her back teeth in in fucking humanity. She, one of the first people in our, in in our, in our area to get COVID when it first hit, um, she's like, when she's in, when I say she's up to her back teeth, she's up to her back, she's up into her elbows and in, in this humanity in healthcare. She gave me some, and she's become far more conservative in regards to, uh, medicine in regards to health, in regards to people. She's become a hardened person. She's been doing it a long time. She's very cavalier, not cavalier. She's very serious. And she says to me, years ago she says your job and my job is to do whatever it takes to stay out of the healthcare system stay out of the healthcare this is someone in the healthcare system she says we need to do whatever it takes to stay out of the healthcare system because the united states health healthcare system is a disaster and what you can't think about going to the doctor like taking your car to the fucking to the fucking mechanic and have him fix it. You got to do some maintenance and you have to make sure whatever it takes. And we have made a real conscious decision especially, you know, like boom, it was 30 we were kind of more conscious of what we were eating and stuff like that and the food we were serving our kid. But then after COVID it was like lights out. I mean, before COVID, Hillary would run and now she runs because her lung capacity is much worse. And she's concerned about it. She's concerned about the long-term effects of when she got COVID and all that. And what she said to me is, you have to do whatever it takes to to stay out of healthcare. And what that means is, you got to cut the bullshit. I'm not saying don't you know have a piece of fried chicken once in a while, but it doesn't have to be every day. You gotta work on your health. You gotta you gotta think about the, you gotta think about how you're gonna be down the line. Because if you're fat right now and you can't, it gets to the point where you get to a certain age, if you cannot get up off the ground without help, you're done. 
dude. You're done. So what you got to do is you got to cut this shit with the ruizing. We're going to talk about ruizing in a second. You got to cut the shit. You got to cut the shit. You can't, the drinking every night is no good. The smoking, you got to cut it out. You got to stop eating all the bullshit all the time with the cheese and all these TikTok things where you, you see all these people, you know, having a fucking coming in their pants from some mac and cheese. You got to knock it off. Have a fucking salad. Do some sit-ups. Run a lap. Stay out of healthcare. And it's not, there's no, none of this, you know, magic bullet. None of it's magic bullet. Slow and steady wins the race. You cannot find this, this losing 20 pounds in 30 days is a bullshit. These fat, fat fads is a bullshit. You know what you're supposed to do. Don't eat the garbage and work out every day. At least walk every day. Do something and cut out the bullshit. Stop it with the sodas. Stop it with the beer. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you alone. But what I will say is, the last thing I'll say is, I get messages from people who are sending me messages about my friend Carl Ruiz. Carl Ruiz died a number of years ago, and he was his whole thing was this concept of Ruizing. What Ruizing is, is it's, it's living your life like you're, this is it. And then you're eating food like crazy, and you're drinking all the time, and you're living your life, and you're living your life. You don't want to be in a position where you you don't ruizing didn't help him. If he was still here, life would be much more fun. If he was if he had lived longer, things would have been good. I'm sad that he is gone, and I will not I will not I will not be a, a habitual gavone gavone is a pig just because he did it didn't really work very well ruizing is the whole concept being of gluttony it's you're not helping your friends and your family yeah kids he didn't have kids he lived his life you can't tell him what to do i understand but it's not like the the answer isn't the answer isn't let's just let's just party all the time you know i really feel like my life is better now i've lost some weight I read I haven't stepped on a scale in about a year. I don't step on scale. In the beginning, I was 250 and I went down to 220 and then I went down. It was it took a long time. Frankly, it took a long time. And it was a a giant it was a it was hard work. It was a lot of long work and it wasn't it was sustainable. The stuff that I do is sustainable. You want to talk about I'm keto. I have a friend who's keto. I'm a bullshit. This is it's all not sustainable. You gotta figure it out. You gotta figure it out. And I'm telling you, you just I just don't want to. And I'm saying this because I don't want to read stories about you. I don't want to read stories about people that I've known who are leaving people behind when it was very uh, avoidable. And that being avoidable is an opportunity for you to create something better. I am now going to be, next, when this comes out on a Friday, next week I'm 50. I'm in better shape mentally because I, I don't drink soda anymore. I'm not drinking beer anymore. I had a glass of wine at, at uh, I had dra- drank a couple glasses of wine at Thanksgiving. And then, you know what? I was like, it's enough. I, it's, it's enough already. I don't need that much more. It's okay. 
I don't need a pork belly. I don't need the fucking the, this. And the, I don't get all horned up like the on the Instagram about the, you know, the ramen all the time and the, and the fucking all the cheese and the bacon, egg, and cheese. I don't want you to take care of yourself, okay? And I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it. Here's the real thing. And I'm going to leave you alone because this isn't supposed to be a self-help thing. This isn't supposed to be a self-help thing. This is me being, you know, uh, relatively irritated, relatively irritated about the situation. And what I'm telling you is you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to live a long, healthy, and satisfying life. And you can do it without having to leave people alone are having to leave people with you holding the plate. Uh, you don't have to be a burden to anyone. You don't want to be involved in the healthcare system. And you, what you don't want to do is you just you just don't want to be a part of the healthcare system. You don't want to be part of the healthcare system. You know, frankly, and then I'll give, and I'll leave you alone. I'm gonna say that the reason why the reason why I did any of this is because my I, when I was 30, I got my blood test taken. They told me that my my cholesterol was a little bit higher than it should be, and they started to tell me what I had to do. And I told them I don't want to be told what to do later in life. I don't want to be told at sixty. I don't want to be told at sixty that uh, I got to change. I have to have drastic changes in my life when it's when it's too late. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. Just have a fucking salad. Run a little bit. Stop it with the beer all the time. It's 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 unnecessary. You're 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 too old for this. You're too old. For this. All right, I'm gonna leave you alone. I've said enough. I'm feel bad. I feel bad. You know, I, I these kids are crazy, and I did. But poor Brooke, poor Brooke. What happened to poor Brooke is just like it's such a tragedy, and you know, I just couldn't believe it, and I just like I feel like feel as though you could do something about it. You fucking do a sit up or something. You know, maybe every meal doesn't have to be the greatest meal of your life. Maybe a little salad for lunch is okay. All right. I, I, I've had enough. I've had enough of telling you what to do, and you've had enough of listening. I'm sure you all fucking fucked the way off. I got a great show for you next week. I don't know what's going on through the holidays. I know Fingal's going to come back at some point. Um, and uh, thank you for all the kind words in regards to the past episodes. And P.S., when you write the past few episodes have been good, all of them have been good, dude. All of them have been good. So don't fucking start with the past few. All of them have been, have been good. This podcast and Knife Talk are the number one and two maker podcasts in, the, in, the God, in this godforsaken planet. And that's just the way it is, okay? So listen to me, guys. Here's what I want you to do. It's holiday time, and I don't do Patreon. What I want you to do is you want to support this podcast, go to faderknives.com, get yourself a hat, get yourself a hoodie if we have them in size. I know the sizes are weird. Get yourself a t-shirt, get yourself a knife, go to faderknives.com. You want to support me, support this podcast, go buy something from faderknives.com, and uh, we will see you next week, okay? Otherwise, I'm going to just, I know I went a little bit nuts. I know I went a little bit nuts at the end. And I know some of you are just like, oh, I don't need to be told what to do. And I live my life and I, I know all about. Just do me a favor. Just think about it. Just think about it. Take that fucking, you take that lollipop and you, and don't put it in your mouth. Stick it up your ass. Okay. There's what I'm going to tell you. Don't take that hot dog and put it in your mouth. Shove it up your ass. You'll, it'll be better for you in the long run. It'll be better for your heart. 
It'll be better for everybody. I don't know if it'll be better for everybody, but it'll be good for you, okay? So, so when in doubt, don't put it in your mouth. Shove it up your ass, okay? Shove it up your Or don't even do that. Just... You know, just put it down for a sec. You just you don't have to have something in your mouth all the time. You know what I'm saying? And with that said, guys, we will see you next week. All right, we'll see you later. I'm out of my mind. Out of my mind. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.